Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. 1841. New Orleans. Greetings, greetings. Welcome to the People's Black Panther Party Radio. We're doing our Did You Know series. Love this new series. This is new. It's a couple of weeks. Um, I, I It was just so impressed upon me to get to um, an education series that just gave us some black history facts. A lot of times right now, this understanding that we're in, we're doing a lot of debating and we're trying to prove one theory over another, one understanding over another, and it's really just not that. You know, um, sometimes we have to let the facts be the facts and, and really give us a chance to remember, give us a chance to um, show respect, giving us a chance to learn and relearn. I know I did, um, and this is the People's Black Panther Party. I'm your National Director of Operations 7 under Chief of Staff War and Chairman Yanga. Um, I, I, I did a post on Facebook uh, just a day or two ago about Miriam McLeod Bethune. Um, and really the post was about my mother. The post was about understanding um, and recognizing how intentional she was with our education. You know, we learned a lot just by being black and, you know, I'm a 70s baby and, you know, just seeing all the things that I saw, that I learned, that I got a chance to grasp, all that good stuff. But really, um, she did a lot of intentional education with us. So we were not only, I would say encouraged, but it was a little stronger than encouraged. We were educated on our black um, leaders, and we um, not only were we educated on them, but uh, we were also encouraged to think, all right? Now, if you ever want to see or hear something really interesting, ask a child. They will take you on an adventure or out of this world. Same goes for our black children. You know, sometimes I don't think we engage our children enough, Okay. But my mother had three girls, and she loved girls, and she enjoyed educating us. And one of, you know, and we had not just, you know, black history studies, religious studies, musical studies, language, all these things that helped to create a a well-rounded individual, okay? That's what I had. It was intentional. Um. During Black History Month, now, as an adult, you know, I have grown children, you know. So now, as an adult, the history and the facts are the same from when I was a child. But the lessons that it conjures are way, way different, you know. Um, And I'm not saying I'm going to always do women, 
but I'm very sensitive to recognizing women that have done the work in our history. And we don't have to dig far. You know, all of us have parents. You know, back in the day, I can tell you this, back in in those 70s and 80s, it didn't matter um, who your parent was. You had They had a job in the movement, you know, whether that was working in their community, uh, whether no matter what it was, even if all you did was watch the children walk home and, and make sure everybody was fine and fed the ones that weren't, and no matter what, it seemed as if uh, the generations before us had more of a communal understanding when it came to their neighborhood, when it came to their children, when it came to everything. There was a collective. And so growing up in that era, knowing what that produces, it was, I couldn't even control myself. I had to come up with this series, and I'm so glad, you know, I spoke to, we do Big Mama's House. It's myself and Mama Makita. And and we run Big Mama's House, and we do that once a month. And we speak about family issues and trials, tribulations, um, both of us being professional therapists and counselors, we work with, um, so that whole dynamic is done from really a therapeutic uh, <laughs> a therapeutic angle, but it's done in a, in a loving, traditional black woman sense, okay? Because so, that's what we are. That's how we work. So for me, everything I do, everything I see is done in a traditional black woman way. I just... This is just my life. This is this is how I live. Um, I had great examples of strong black women, so therefore it's only natural that I see and promote that. And so this is my first person that I, I highlighted was, of course, closest, nearest, dearest to my heart, Mother Harriet Tubman and, and the work that she did. And so this week, this go-round, and, and don't – is it's going to be more. This is not Big Mama's House extended. Everyone in the formation is going to take the time to educate you on the 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 person that meant so much to them. You know, their hero, their shiro, um, the one that that helped to make things easier in their life. You know, um, the one that they once they learn their name, they can't forget it. You know, I, it's so crazy because I'm trying to schedule other people in, but I already got a long list of people, oh, this person needs energy, of oh, that person. And, did it, I mean, I already got a long list of people who I would love to present to the world. And I want to present, did you know? Did you know? So when I was going back, speaking about Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, um, it it took me on a venture, you know. It it really, really was not uh, not anywhere as simple or as um, cut and dry as I remember this as a child. Um, I went to high school in Miami, Florida. From Miami, Florida. I'm from a little bit everywhere, but Miami. So I went to an HBCU. I went to Virginia State. So if you draw a line. All the way up, that's where I went to school at. I was ready to leave home. I'm out. 
But one of the options was Bethune-Cookman. And um, I thought about it, and um, <laughs> honestly, I don't think my grades would allow me to go. Uh, <laughs> I, I was an I student. I, at that point, I wasn't really focused on academics. I loved the academic process. I just wasn't into I just. I was just an I kind of student. But I remember um, knowing about two, uh, quite a few. There's Edward Waters in Jacksonville. There's um, Bethune-Cookman in Daytona. And then FAMU, okay? And so growing up, I think uh, half of the kids that went to college out of my graduating class, they all went to FAMU, okay? That was where... All the Trojans went. We went, all the Vikings, all the Vikings went. We went to uh, FAMU because our band program was an incredible band program. And, of course, FAMU and their Rattlers and all that good stuff. But growing up and, and knowing something and then seeing it firsthand, you know, you get this uh, infinity. You know, you get this feeling and understanding. It's a connection. You know, I remember... When my youngest, when my oldest son Solomon had a report on uh, Dr. Carver, and we were in Atlanta and we were doing all this research, and and when I do research, I'm wrapped up. We, you know, <laughs> this is like uh, a first grade project for him, and for me, I was like, oh, we have to take this all the way, and we took a field trip. We actually went out to Tuskegee, and coming from an HBCU and seeing the beautiful grounds and everything else. Um, I mean, they had museums, they had paintings, they had their bookstore made my bookstore look feel like a corner store, you know what I'm saying? But um, it was incredible. And to know that the students had built that university brick by brick, like they made the bricks. And I was like, how do you make bricks, you know? So, that was, you know, even though he was only, I think, six or seven and the baby was in a stroller, we were were doing tours because what happens is these HBCUs actually become part of our history, our local history. They become part of our family history. They become part of the legacy because even now my oldest boy goes to an HBCU um, I can't wait to get this youngest one out the house to his HBCU, and we're going to keep that tradition alive because we need places and spaces where we are welcomed and we are nurtured in our own special way. So speaking about Mary McLeod Bethune and everything that she was really touched me this week. I just wanted to share my excitement with everybody. Okay, so Mary McLeod Bethune was born in Maysville, South Carolina, in 1875 and transitioned in 1955. She lived to be 79 years old. And, of course, back then they didn't do all the great uh, record-keeping that they do now. Now they can tell you what time of day you were born and everything else. But, you know, that that is a nice long life, and she used it to the fuller. Uh, She was an educator, she was a statesman, a philanthropist, a humanitarian, a civil rights activist, and um, she was one of, there's her list of accomplishments um, 
always started off with the first African-American woman, the first African-American, period. She was the first African-American woman to be head of any federal agency. She was part of some federal agency that managed the um, aid given to schools, which is one of the reasons why her school was able to get um, uh, uh, the money that was needed. And so she founded the National Council for Negro Women in 1935, okay? Um, born to her parents had been born slaves. And so you have to understand the timeline. See, this is what I didn't get when I was younger. I didn't get the timeline. I'm sure they were told to me, but I just didn't get them. So they have the abolishment of slavery as 1865, right? Then they created something called the Freedmen's Bureau, now, I've heard a lot about the Freedmen's Bureau because, for me, I, I don't think there's an HBCU on the East Coast that I haven't been on their campus. I love visiting these schools because they have really become monuments to black excellence. They have become monuments to the educational pursuit, you know, um, Dr. Bethune strongly believed that education was the great equalizer. And these are words that I heard my grandmother speak. I come from a highly educated family. Um, I, I was going to say not educated like um, like Harvard, <laughs> not that kind of highly educated. I come from people that believe in education, uh, not necessarily this degree and having 15 million degrees, but being in the know, knowing how to speak, um, knowing how to research and find out information. I remember growing up when my grandmother was living, um, I'd ask her, okay, well, what's this word say? And her famous words, look it up. And I'm like, can't you just tell me what it means? You know what this word means. You know, no. Everything we kept, she kept a dictionary, you know, on a coffee table. Most people had magazines and this, that, or the other. Hers was a dictionary in a, um, I can't say the word correctly. You know the other book was, <laughs> the synonyms. But um, we were constantly learning being challenged in this cognitive way or another, um, having math uh, tests, math games, math challenges, you know, they were truly trying to untap and get to the next level of knowledge and understanding with me and my sisters and my cousins. It was that serious. And um, so when I think about, you know, all of the, the schooling that I, I attended, when I think about all the information that's here, you know, a lot of the HBCUs, if you've seen five, you've seen them. You know what I'm saying? That you, you get the general idea about what's going on. But to, to really understand the formation of them and their importance in history is, is so amazing. So, of course, Dr. Bethune, um, who founded a college then turned university, was, of course, 
someone I had to speak on, had to speak on. Um, so this Freedmen's Bureau, and I'm, I'm, I want to give a full picture of the environment that she was working against. So the Freedmen's Bureau was created for the immediate and temporary shelter and supply and distribute care to refugees and freedmen. Okay, a freedman is was considered a formerly enslaved person, granted freemen freedom by their captors. Okay, so refugees and recently freed slaves were on the same level, you know. So not quite considered Americans. That's where we were. At 1865, this bureau was created, and it expanded to include education. So this is where a lot of our HBCUs got their land from. Now, like I said, if you've been to one, you've been to a couple of them. But you always got to pay attention because these schools are always on the wrong side of the tracks. I, I will never forget Virginia State is, is, you know, the president's building is built, you know, a couple of feet from an inactive railroad track, but that's where it was. They built these universities on, um, you know, on land that couldn't, they thought couldn't be used for any other purpose. Savannah State is literally sitting on a swamp, land that they couldn't use for planting, for cropping, for, for even building. And those that was the land that they gave to these recently freed slaves. And they took that land and built monuments that are still standing today. So, you know, I, I this kind of stuff to me is inspiring to me because it lets me know what my ancestors were doing, okay? It lets me know what my ancestors, also what they were, some of the opposition they were working with. So this started in 1865. In 1869, they had basically taken all of the money out of this fund. They weren't paying people anymore. They weren't giving any more land. They weren't doing anything. So in four years, they had decided no, we're not going to do any more for you people. Four years. And in 1870, the Bureau was opposed strongly because it, out of fear that it would make African Americans lazy. I need you to understand what we've been fighting against since 1870. 1870? You were taking a group of people that you just had out in fields from sunup to sundown with babies on their backs, with under a whip, under Georgia's son. Now, look, Georgia's son ain't no joke, okay? Under the sun, under harsh conditions, with no food, and you worried about them being lazy? This is what we've been fighting against since eight documented now. This is when they documented it. This is when they verbally said, hey, look, somebody write this down. I'm, I'm afraid they might get lazy. 
1872, two years after the opposition, the, the Freedmen Bureau was stopped completely, okay? So they had from 1865 to 1869 before the resources were pulled out. And then in 1872, all of the resources, they stopped it altogether. All right? So in 1904, this is way after that. There ain't no money, okay? There's no more money. I need you to understand that. They're not giving away anything else. They had, um, they used, they brought some teachers down. Now, can you imagine how a people go from it's illegal to read and write, punishable by, you know, whipping, lashes, possible death, and you're going to take these same people now and educate them? The the confusion, the mix-up, the, the I, I don't even know how you begin to handle that. But they did. They, Bethune founded in 1904 Daytona, the Daytona Literacy and Industrial Training School for Negro Girls. She had a dollar fifty, faith in God, and five little girls, three of them sisters. Now, I have more than a dollar fifty probably in my change cup in my car. Do you know the determination it takes, the the audacity that it takes to sit back and say, I'm going to create a school for literacy and industry for girls. You know, remember back then, (laughs) not only were they not educating African-Americans, they definitely weren't educating the girls. You know, growing up, I I have sorrows that will tell me, you know, they used to go to school for nursing or for teaching. That's it. Those were the two fields that you went into. Nursing or teaching, because those were the only kind of jobs you could possibly get. So she had a dollar fifty faith and five little girls. So when we say each one teach one, when we say we're going to start a reading program, when we say that you know we're doing this level of service and education so that others can know about the sacrifices that those before us made, this is what I'm talking about. And I I speak to people on a regular basis, different levels of understanding, different passions, and I'm always like, hey, start small. <laughs> start small. Start in your living room. You know what I'm saying? You know, it doesn't take, you don't have to get a hall. It doesn't start with, you know, it doesn't start with a million people. It doesn't start with 100,000 people. It may start with five little people, but yet the intentionality, you know, the the, the intention, the purpose, um, and just guts to do this made this what it is. So this is Dr. Bethune, right? So in 1923, but this school, Daytona Literacy and Industrial Training School for Negro Girls, 
combined with Cookman Institute to become Bethune-Cookman College. Okay? And in 1931, it was an accredited college. So not only are we talking about really, really taking the time to educate and, and to be a part of the university life, the schooling life, it went as far as to get accredited. You know, um, that lets you know their determination to continue their growth. Um, Bethune-Cookman, at that time, college, uh, is a private HBCU, which is probably another reason why I wasn't able to go. You know, <laughs> it, it was a private institute. You know, um, it, it fostered itself on having all of the uh, great schools, full athletics, just a Division One school. For those who that know anything about sports and everything, that lets you know they compete high-ranking competition in sports. So that is who Dr. Bethune is. And I just want to say even continuing, in 2007, it was granted its university status. So it's Bethune-Cookman University. When I was graduating out of high, when I was graduating out of high school, it was still Bethune-Cookman College. You know, so it's kind of scary. I'm sitting here like, wow, history is still being made. So when I was in high school and it was a consideration, they're like, hey, stay closer to home. You know, Bethune Cookman, that's what they used to say. They never, I never heard of college. You know, Bethune Cookman is right up the street. You could go there and everything else like that. And from that time to even now, they are still working to improve themselves to work on their excellence, to be a part of the education process for African Americans um, on a on a collegiate level. So this was an automatic for me. Dr. Cookman was married. Um, I believe she had one child, and um, she served as she was the first. <laughs> everything she did, she was the first African American to do it. But she was one of the first African American women to being um, the head of one of the colleges, one of the HBCU colleges. And um, and she was the college at Bethune-Cookman. She was the president at Bethune-Cookman for years. And when she left, she left to go hold a federal position, federal position with Roosevelt and, and to run the federal programming. So, you know, her work, I, I liked her work because not only was she an educator, she was also in the politics, which was unusual for women in that time. And I, I just am, am very, very passionate and and I want to say passionate, but also impressed at the work that she was able to accomplish. Think about this now. You know, she she was part, um, you know, she was part of the founding part of the NAACP. You know, she worked with, you know, she was there in the beginning, creating high standards, creating high morals, you know, creating a levels of education that we didn't even have in place and doing it on her dime. So, you know, when it comes to understanding those aspects of her, I have to stop and think about what we're doing as far as education now, Okay. Because I sit back and I look at all this 
craziness that they're doing with COVID and half the kids are home. The other the other half is at school. Um, there's no consistency. I think about the state that I'm in, the state of Georgia, which is one of the lowest ranking um, educational states in the United States. Don't appreciate that, Georgia. And here, you know, this woman decided she was going to make it with these five little girls. So I, it really, really, really has been inspiring. And um, it, it's been inspiring for me. It, it's also allowed me the opportunity to recycle with my children. Hey, uh, do you remember me speaking? I, you know, I show my youngest that's home with me. Do you know who this is? Oh, yeah, I know who she is. She runs the school. I was like, exactly. Good, good. But do you know her name? Okay. I need you to know her name. I need you to know her energy. I need you to know what she stood for. And then I need you to know what our family stands for. See, this is all a great opportunity for us to not just to hear what these forefathers, foremothers did, but it's a chance for us to kind of take it personal. Take it personal. What did you feel about this? What do you think about this? How does this impact your daily life right now? You know, I know me personally creating that excellence and that need for education, especially for women and females, was ever so important. You know, um, especially for someone like me who did well but not all that well. You know, I, I wasn't a genius, you know. I, I wasn't valedictorian of anything. I attended school. I learned what I thought I needed to learn, and I kept it moving. But because of her and the sacrifices that she made, it was not abnormal to think about educating an African-American girl. Okay? She transitioned in 1955. I'm an 80s, I'm a 70s baby. You know, this is literally only 15 years before my birth. So the work that she was putting in place and the things that she stood for and worked for, I am still the direct beneficiary of a lot of this positive work. You know, we haven't been out of the struggle long enough for me to say that's old news. It's not is actually very current, and if we're not careful, we're going to run a risk of having to repeat some of this over. We will run that risk. So it's 100%. We have to understand where these, you know, why, number one, why these schools were necessary, what they did, how they did, and what does that mean right now? Right now um, in rural Georgia where I live, this particular county was the last county to integrate. This county, where I stay right now, this was the last site that Georgia had here. So when I go and I'm speaking with his educators, I'm speaking with the guidance counselors, especially in the middle school, they'll tell me, oh, yes, this is one of the original buildings, blah, blah, blah. My mother went here. My um, my mother went here. Uh, I went here. I attended school here. We all got educated here. And I'm looking at her because her all doesn't include my all. 
doesn't include me at all. Her all, when she says, oh, yes, and we did this and we did that, her we does not include me. She's speaking only about her and and her white counterparts because the school just was integrated. So we have to know that not only may they not be including us in their original plan, but we have to understand we may have to create a whole different plan for ourselves. We may have to go about it. I know my mother who did not, I said she didn't have funds for private school. I don't know what she would have done. Um, But for someone who intentionally, personally, intentionally and personally educated us on all of our additional lessons, you know, we have to begin to not be afraid to add to this current curriculum. We have to not be afraid to say, hey, look, I have the time, the energy, and the knowledge. I'm going to educate my child at home, you know. We have to not be afraid to do the things that are going to help work and benefit us, even if it is, quote, unquote, non-traditional. You know, don't forget, when they were, when she was creating this school with her dollar fifty, okay, um, that wasn't, you know, we weren't doing education. And a lot of the education that was being done, they were bringing in white teachers to teach our African-American students, to teach our children that have never been taught before. And so we were still not getting the benefit of our own, working with our own, which is why I'm such an advocate for the HBCUs. You know, stop turning your children over to them to educate. Stop doing that. Let them stay close to us. Let them learn how to feel comfortable around us. Give them the opportunity to say, okay, I under you know, I'm I'm learning, I'm expanding. You know, they can do grad school with them as far as I'm concerned. That's what I told mine. That's what I told my sisters. Me and all my sisters went to Virginia State. Now grad schools, we went to different grad schools, okay, that's wonderful. But our basis, we were together. We were we were together with our own. And it helped us and it helped nurture us moving into this area that we didn't know. So when it comes to Dr. Bethune, who had to go and take it upon herself, educate herself, and continue her educational process so that she can turn and create a space for girls to go to this college, to go to this school. So she was my person. She will always be my person. I'm going to encourage any and everybody, if you get an opportunity, because I think not I think, I know every state on the East Coast, at least the East Coast, has an HBCU in it. Um, there shouldn't be more than a two- or three-hour drive to get you get to your nearest HBCU. You know, Google them up and see what's close, you know, and then go and support them. If you don't do anything but go to their homecoming and have a good time and support the vendors or whatever, support the school. You know, I don't know how, you know, 
And I know about Savannah State only because my son attends it. But, you know, they have gotten taken a blow behind this COVID thing. Don't let them use excuses like COVID, um, excuses like uh, just whatever. Don't let them make our CUs obsolete. We so need them. And there's, you know, this was a private school, but we got private schools and public schools. We need all of them. They have proven time after time, um, person after person, that how much they're needed to continue the, the positive growth uh, in our community. So let, let's continue to, to, to continue to support them any way we can. Any way we can. There was something I, I before I even say these words, I want to make sure. I, and everybody, you can have opinions on Kamala Harris if you want to. Um, I know about her track record over in California. Uh, she's going to have to work on that, right? But she went to Howard University. That's an HBCU. So, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. We couldn't – there are many people that would not have been accepted into any other type of schooling. I'm, I am being one of them. And so and, and think about it. If I didn't get into an HBCU, um, chances are my son may not have that experience either. And so you have a whole lineage, starting with me, that may have missed out on the opportunity to get an education. So this is why they're so important, and this is why it's important for us to know the history of each of these schools, especially the ones that mean something to you. If your child goes there, if you've been to a homecoming, if you're in the hometown, no matter what, whatever the reason, you've been, you went on a college tour there. Um, my youngest went on a college tour to uh, North Carolina a and I think he was in elementary school, and he decided that was going to be his school. And, and as he's in high school now, He's still saying, no, no, that's my school. I'm still going to North Carolina A&T. And so, you know, um, for whatever reason, I don't know if that was just the first college he's ever seen or whatever, he already has that picked out in his brain. We need more young people with that sticking out in their brain. You can go to school. You can create school, starting with your little one. If you don't like what your school is teaching your child, make some changes. Don't be afraid to make changes. Um, I can tell you Dr. Bethune was not afraid to make changes. She wasn't afraid to stand up and say, hey, look, this isn't going to work. She was called, and I, I love this, the first lady of the struggle, okay? Um, the first lady, that's an old concept, you know, um, presidential, uh, that's a presidential uh, high-level, high-ranking person, first lady, that, that was the female president, and they called her the first lady of the struggle. You know, she did so much work, particularly with women and, of course, with African Americans and with women. And so there was always, always that drive in there. You know, um, because we've kind of gotten off from where we are now as to where we were before, sometimes we're not thinking about the legacy that's needed 
we're not thinking about the legacy that we can actually be working on. I don't know if she was planning on making the history that she made at that very moment, but she did make it. She 100% made it. And so, you know, not only do I want you to pay attention to the HBCUs that helped us, that served us, I want you also to pay attention to um, the legacy that she left. You know, she she left a legacy of education. She left a legacy of of you know of determination for sure. You know, I I look back and I stop and I think, you know, how how incredible it would be to have something that is still in place. Okay, so when she was starting her Daytona Literacy in an industrial training school for Negro girls, she was 29 years old, 29. You know, I think I just had, I just had one child at that point. It was was half crazy, okay, 29. I wasn't thinking about educating a nation. Um, I wasn't thinking about being part of a positive connection for my for my people and for my family. I wasn't thinking about the political life that I had or the political influences that I had. At 29, I was trying to keep up with all the diapers and keeping the milk flowing. That's all I was worried about. And at 29, she's starting school and, and being determined in them, insisting on them. She, she's, you know, I don't know how much $1.50 was back then, but I bet you everybody didn't have a dollar fifty in their pocket. So how did she save up this money? You know, how did she get this money? Who were her supporters? Who were her naysayers? Honestly, shoot. You know, how many people did she say? You know, she she had five girls. She had three were sisters, so she had three families. She had convinced three families that I'm starting this school, give me your child so I can start this school. Back when they were turning, you know, hoses on and dogs on and lynchings and it wasn't safe to to walk down a dirt road, people were taking chances when educating their children. Okay? So, you know, Allow this story, allow her legacy, because it's truly a legacy. And she has, she has a legacy that's still growing. It's gotten its qualification just since I've been out of high school. That's amazing. I hope my legacy, years after my transitioning, she transitioned in 1955, 2007 is now a university 2007, so, you know, I hope and I wonder if, you know, some hundred years after my transitioning, is my legacy still going to be growing? Are they still going to be teaching um, my my lessons, and are they going to still be working with um, and, and holding on to my mission, mission? A hundred years after my transition, you know, there's a statue of her standing up on that campus. 
And I, I just, I, I would spend all day just standing there like, you know, really, you did all of this? Really? When I was at Tuskegee and I was looking at not pictures of the pictures, but actual oil paintings that Dr. Carver had drawn, because what a lot of people don't know is that he was a beautiful artist and he drew a lot, he drew and painted, and when he painted, he used dyes from actual fruits, vegetables, and other flowers. And so to imagine that he was creating dyes and paints in these pictures right there, and I was looking at him dyeing the the, the paintbrush. I, and I was sitting there, and I, I looked, but, and, of course, the kids are like, uh, Ma, you, you're staring at the painting. And I'm like, yeah, but do you know that these bro- brush strokes are historic, you know? And, and, and I sit back, and I, I wonder if we take the time really to look at the historic wonders around us right now. How many times do we walk past the statue uh, and not think to look who the name is? who they're being honored, because that tells you a lot about the places that we're at. Every city I go and visit, and I do a lot of traveling, I always look at the history. I want to know what Native Americans were on that land before they turned it into Thomasville. What was it called? What was it used for? How did they have any massacres on this land? You know, what were the voting rights of this land prior to right now, because the history helps me to understand why things are the way they are right now. So when I think about it, and also, how much have they built up around Daytona? Daytona, I can imagine how many times they they asked to buy that property back. I know how many times they asked to, to do this work there, do that work there. And someone had to say, no, this is about our education now, where we're using this for this personal space. Daytona Beach? Daytona Beach? Oh, trust me, they tried to get that land back. We already know they did. That's what they do. <laughs> but someone had to say, no, this is for our children. We're holding this. We're holding this land for our children. At Savannah State, there's literally guardrails because the land just stops. It just slopes down because the swamp's right there. And I'm like, okay, uh, swamp land? But then the history of that land had to speak and say, yeah, yeah, we took swamp land and made it into something um, that is still in effect, still being used still in the positive swampland. So, you know, um, this is the the beauty. I'm telling you, Virginia State, high on the hill, on, in that valley is a train track. And I see it. We, You know, you turn that corner, you'll see it every single time. That train is right there across the track. And they, they Virginia State started with one school, Virginia Hall, and, and they did everything. The president lived on one floor. They had class administrators on another floor, and they had classes on the bottom floor, and that was it. 
and now it's a huge school that every time I go they have a new wing or new this or new that. I'm part of that history. I'm part of that continuation. Everyone can play a role in the continuation and the improvement of African Americans, particularly in education, right now. So don't think that we don't have history to still make. We do. And obviously from from Bethune-Cookman, that's what it's called, Bethune-Cookman, now university, they're still growing. So we can still make our impressions felt. And so every, 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 every day, every week, whatever, but particularly during this month of February, take the time, just as I have done, to relearn some of your lessons. Relearn them. I know a lot of us, I mean, man, I, I have read on Dr. Martin Luther King, so I feel like I know him personally, him and his children, okay? Um, but every time I say, no, no, I'm going to give the afternoon to Dr. King, I'm going to learn some things. I learned something. I learned something I didn't know before. Every time I sit down with Brother Malcolm, and I know some Malcolm Ainz, okay, I, he got some strong followers. I learn something new. I do. And, and it helps me to understand more about the man, and it helps me to understand more about that movement at that very moment. And so take the time, continue your studies, continue pushing ahead, continue learning and relearning. Take the time to educate your children. Don't let them say, like, you know, my little one, oh, yeah, yeah, I know her. Oh, yeah, I know she, she did this, she did that. Yeah, okay, that's wonderful. Do you know that she worked with the president? Oh, the, the president, yes. Yes. Do you know she was a philanthropist? You know that word because of a comic book hero. You know, Iron Man was a philanthropist. Right. But did you know a real-life black woman had that title? And she's real. Do you know this is what she did with that title? This was the work that she was involved in. We're not talking about a superhero now, son. I need you to come back to her re- reality with me and understand we have this right here. And, and, and when, when we say race first, this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. So even if you've gone through this process, go through it again. Do it a little slower. Do it with the kids. Don't let them brush you off. <laughs> Don't let them brush you off. Challenge their brain. You know, because like I said, my mother, she was big on, hey, okay, she was big on let me educate you, and then she stopped and said, okay, what do you think? What do you hear? What are you feeling? What What's going on? And that allowed me to, to think and have opinions and to be able to decipher information for myself. And so this is an awesome, awesome practice that I encourage everybody to do. Even if all you do is play this radio program again, listen to some of the accomplishments that she made. Do some research. Find out about that Freedmen's Bureau. I've had many conversations on this radio program and others about the Freedmen Bureau, about what it was doing, and about why it was so adamantly opposed and shut down in, in short years. They shut that thing down in seven years but they, they emptied out the money in four. 
okay? So be clear, you know, now we know how long slavery was. Did you think that just four years of assistance was going to be enough really to right those wrongs? Four years of financial assistance to select people. Did you really believe that four years of of that support was going to be enough? You know, the learning curve, most learning curves are at least half of the time that you were going through whatever challenge you were going through. But in four years, they shut that thing down. They were worried and concerned about the advancement of African Americans. They were worried and concerned that the African Americans would be smarter, better, well off, and um, more financially strategic than some of their white counterparts that hadn't gone through the educational process. You know, don't forget, all white people were not educated. All white people were were not contributing members of society, you know. Um, And so that was part of their fear that the African-Americans would, part of them would succeed and get, succeed past some of the white population. So when they go and they talk about black power, do some research, even go go further than civil rights. Go all the way back. Go all the way back and, and really discover why they had to shut some of those programs down. And then go and look at those that even with the program shut down, were still able to accomplish goals along the way. So don't just look at Dr. Bethune and be like, wow, that's really good. She started university. Look at the environment, the political environment, the economic environment, um, the actual land itself. Look at the environment that she was having to work in. Look and see how she got to be. When you are the first to do something and the first, let's say you're the first in your family to go, let's say go to college, go to a four-year college. That's such an accomplishment. That's such an accomplishment. That's saying that in your family, you were the one to pioneer that, okay? And so that's a wonderful feeling. It's a wonderful feeling to be the first. Imagine what it's like to be the first of your race, not just your little family with, you know, your cousins and everything else like that. Imagine the first in your race. So she was – she was having meetings and going places, and she was allowed to do things that African-Americans weren't slash African-American women were not. And so it always gives me a lot of pride to know uh, the work that was accomplished, can be accomplished, will continue to be accomplished. All we have to do is hold tight to what we're doing, how we're doing it, and, and continue to allow ourselves to be used and um, be used in those positive measures, okay? So this program that I did, this little hour, one hour, um, and I I felt like I had to juggle between Dr. Bethune and the HBCUs, but it's such an important point. It was such a big part of who she was. I felt like she would understand, Okay. <laughs> But, you know, every Thursday at 8 o'clock, we're going to be coming 
and different people within the formation are going to be coming and presenting their did you know facts. And they're going to be sharing with you, hey, this is, this is what I know. This is what I do. This is what I've done. You know, this is what I've witnessed. This is what this meant to me. How about that? So, you know, I'm very, very excited about it. I encourage you to listen. I encourage you, you know, these shows are right here, um, PG. They're family friendly. So you can share this with the rate. You can share this with the kids. You can let, you know, family hear it. You know, if you have elders in your family, because she just transitioned in 1955. That's not that long ago. Some of your family members may have been alive during that time. Some of your family members may know about who she was and part of the legacy and can remember, oh, yeah, I remember when an announcement came out when she transitioned. So spend the time allowing it to impact you and impact your family. I want to thank everybody for listening. This has been the National Director of Operation 7 with the People's Black Panther Party. Thank you for spending the time. Check us out next Thursday at 8. It promises to be very educational and um, helping us to understand where our people came from is going to help us dictate where our people are going. Thank you. Black Power. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.